Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. So sure, sure, nine out of 10 startups fail. I get that. And a lot of people say that, don't worry, nine out of 10 fail. I was like, I didn't plan on being the nine out of 10. Mm-hmm. You know, my investors were, were, were betting on me being the one out of 10 and calling them all up and feeling, I just felt so much, I felt like I disappointed people. I felt ashamed that I'd failed. I felt like I disappointed people. I felt like I'd let them down. And that was the hardest part for me um, because I have always been really sensitive to what other people think. I've always cared far too much what other people think. So you can imagine being a people pleaser, being a you know success addict, someone who's always been done well, and then not just failing, but I'm talking like skidding on my face failing. You know, and then I mean, call everyone up and be like, by the way, I'm, I just failed. And because I failed, you're losing your 25 grand or you're losing your 250 grand or whatever it is that you put in. Those calls were just so, you know, devastating. Um, and what was incredible about it is that some of them, the guy who, you know, put in $250,000, actually a guy who put in 350 grand, he put in more than anyone else. He was like, just get up, dust yourself off, move on to the next thing. You know, you gave it your all good job. You made an impact in the world. And, you know, I believe in you for your next venture, you know, which was incredible. And then you go to the, the people that put in a couple of people that put in 10 grand mm-hmm. were just all over me, like, like white on rice and, and making me feel 10 times or I, let's say what their actions made me feel 10 times worse than I had already felt. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. 
absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Taylor, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is very cool to have you here. So I was introduced to you by way of uh, a former guest of ours and mutual friend Rima Zaman. She had nothing but amazing things to say about you. And then when I found out what you did and the fact that you were a surfer, I was like, wow, we're like long lost brothers. We definitely need to talk. Uh, Yeah, and we need to surf, realistically. Yeah, exactly. More than talk, we need to get out and surf together. But I want to start by asking you, um, what did your parents do for a living? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you've ended up making with your life in your career that's that's so funny that you asked that because we, i was just at a founders retreat with my two co-founders yesterday and we were talking about our relationship with money uh-huh. and and where that comes from and it's so interesting like my, one of my co-founders grew up let's say lower middle class maybe even slightly below but probably lower middle class the other one grew up very high middle class like slightly above middle class so quite wealthy mm-hmm. and then i grew up starting at when i was four poor and then when I, by the time I was like 16, upper middle class, mm-hmm. you know, so like I, I watched my dad like hustle. Oopsie. I watched my, uh, my dad hustle 
from, you know, us renting a two, like a half a duplex in the shady part of town to building his own house and getting a, a cabin on the water on a lake and improving on that cabin. So watching it all happen. And so my parents, in short, my dad is a, was an entrepreneur. He was a real estate agent when I was two. Um, I then became a real estate agent down the road. He started a company called Conroy Exteriors that does like gutters and roofing and siding. And so in a sense, a construction company. Mm-hmm. And he was so hardcore. He was so competitive. He he worked his butt off. He got up to about 80 employees and was the, you know, the biggest kind of shop for that, that kind of business in town and, and crushed it. And he re, and he retired about five years ago at the age of 55. Mm. Um, how did that money story that changed over time impact your own money story? Because I, you know, it's funny because I have a very similar yeah. story. I mean, my dad's not an entrepreneur. I mean, he's not, you know, ultra wealthy, but I would say he's upper middle class. He's a college professor, uh, who's yeah. tenured. So I got to see him go from being a PhD student and I got to yeah. wear pro wings. Uh, if, I don't know if you remember those, they were made at <laughs> a shoe store called Payless Shoe Source. Yeah, I, of course. <laughs> Um, and you know, I got pro pro wings in seventh grade. My sister got hundred dollar designer jeans because by the time my dad was, uh, a 10 year professor, she was in junior high. So I'm curious, like how did your money story evolve? You know what? I mean, what I find is so interesting late was really, you know, if I look down right now, I'm looking at my wrist and my wrist has two things on it. One is a tattoo of the number three, 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 which is a really kind of auspicious and prominent number in my life. The other thing is a rubber band and, the rubber band I just put on today, and the reason that it's on there is I'm kind of reprogramming my brain around money. And what I mean by that is when I was, you know, when I was, let's say, 24, I went from making $50,000 a year to making $500,000 a year in less than 12 months. Mm-hmm. And that was a transition from being a firefighter to being in real estate and just, you know, not everyone makes 500 grand a year. I, I worked my balls off and, and made 500 grand in that year. And that was because of like continuously programming my brain around money. I was just devouring books. I would, every morning, the first words out of my mouth were this like affirmation statement that I had it stating exactly how much money I wanted to make, when I wanted to make it by, what I was going to do in return for that money, you know, what I would give to charity, that kind of thing. And I would read that every morning and it was the last words out of my mouth before, for bed. And I read that, that statement, to, this is a think and grow rich thing. I don't know if you've read any yeah. Napoleon Hill stuff, of course. So, um, you know, I read that thing every, religiously every morning and every night for a year and it worked. I programmed my brain like crazy and, and I ended up making 500 grand because of it. So then, then like fast forward to after becoming a millionaire in my mid twenties and doing really well in real estate, I went into the philanthropic side of things, built a company called Change Heroes, poured all my money from the real estate company, any properties that I owned, I sold them, I sold like everything I owned, poured it into a startup called Change Heroes, which was in essence raising money to build um, schools and libraries and, and water projects in developing countries all over the world. And I'll, I'll skip the whole, you know, maybe we'll get into it later, but like the impact that it made and just say as a business, it didn't work. As a business, it went under. And as a business, it I actually had to go bankrupt because of it. Mm-hmm. Because I poured, I was like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt because I'd poured all this money into it, put taken up personal loans, taken loans from friends, poured it all into it, thinking that I'd be able to make it work. Didn't work. I went down, became bankrupt, and now you and I are talking. I'm two months, two months away from being out of personal bankruptcy, uh-huh. and using this time to just like the equivalent of like a prisoner being in jail who's just like <laughs> learning languages and learning law, and they're going to come out just like. Guns ablaze. No, that's a bad analogy. Guns ablazing from coming out of jail, but you know what I mean. Coming out there and like becoming a lawyer or whatever it is, and so that's what I'm doing. I'm ready to getting ready to come out of bankruptcy and with a reprogrammed mind back to a wealth mindset rather than a poverty mindset, which is which is what I was in for a while, and and kind of hit the ground running. Um, and so 
So long story short, how my parents impacted me with money was one, my dad showed me that hard work, like persistence pays off. Um, and my parents, I think, I don't know that they always looked at me as being, let's say bright. And so therefore I didn't look at myself as being that bright. I just looked at myself as being someone who would outwork the other people. If that makes sense. Like yeah. I saw my dad outwork everyone. And so I knew that if I just outworked people, then I would, you know, do as good as I could possibly do. So that's probably the main thing that I picked up from them that, that correlates to money is, is that persistence pays off. Yeah. So two questions come from that. Um, one, you know, I think a lot of us know this idea of the, the sort of Napoleon Hill reprogramming, reprogramming your brain to have sort of this abundance mindset, mm-hmm. knowing the certain day. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that people don't achieve that despite knowing what they do about all this stuff around personal development? And two, I mean, going from, you know, one extreme to the other, um, how, how did you handle that? Like, how did you not let that become, you know, incredibly paralyzing? That's the first part of the question. The answer in simple is because we or they or me at times are lazy, period. They're fucking lazy. They know that these things, that this stuff is readily available. Every single book on self-development and making money, they're all saying the same thing. Yeah. And a lot of them, they're many, many, many of them, the vast majority of my experience are written by people that know what they're talking about. Yet we read them and because of laziness, because of being against change, we pass it off as, well, I don't know if I trust that. Or we look for excuses to why that, that book isn't applicable to our lives. When in reality, the core, like the seed, the nucleus is, is being lazy. And, and you could say lazy is being like a, a synonym for not wanting change. Mm-hmm. You know, like the way that we, the way that our egos, in, in my experience, the way that our egos work is that they don't like change. They want to know what's going to happen. They want as much certainty as humanly possible. And change does not bring certainty. So the ego is not going to want change because it doesn't give it the thing that it wants most, which is like security and certainty, which are both completely abstract concepts. You ask me, but, mm-hmm. um, and so that, that way it paralyzes us. We get this like analysis paralysis and, and we just look for all the excuses why not to do it. And in reality, you know, like the, if you, if you're, you know, wanting to learn how to walk, you just watch people that walk and eventually try it a bunch of times. And before you know it, you can walk. If you're trying to make money, you just look at, read what people do to make money and do what they do. And that's why I just wanted to be break kind of money down into being as simple as possible. And just like trusting the people that wrote, wrote these books that they were right. And just, you know, diving full in, like trusting so full on that I would wake up every morning, wake up and go to bed every night, you know, reading these silly words out loud but like into the mirror in the bathroom or wherever it was and just trusting that it would actually work. And again, it's, it's not just trust. It's, it's kind of getting over this laziness and being, I'm kind of rambling right now, but, but also kind of thinking what, what will happen if I don't do this? Mm -hmm. You know, chances are you'll be in the same position. Like there's some really good Tony Robbins stuff where he future paces people and he talks about how, you know, what would your life be like in five years if you don't change anything? What will your life be like in 10 years if you don't change anything? What will it be like in 20 years? And you start picturing yourself at like 40 and 45 and 50 and 60, not having changed everything, still scraping by, still wanting to shop at Whole Foods, but shopping at somewhere else instead because you want to save money and, and kind of staying in this like weird, um, uncomfortable yet subconsciously comfortable bubble and living a life that is less than what you know you're capable of and ideally less than you know that you deserve. Mm-hmm. So long story short behind all of this is like if the why is big enough is like i don't want to live like that in a few years i don't want to you know 
not be able to put my kids in the sports that they want to play. And I don't want to not be able to take care of my parents when they get sick. And I don't want to not be able to pay my medical bills if, if something happens. Um, like building up that why strong enough to like force you out of being adverse to change and force you out of that laziness. And then the next step is like finding someone that you're going to follow, whether it be a book or a mentor and trusting what they say and following it every day. Yeah. What about the second part of it? <clears throat> I don't even remember what that was. Going from <laughs> going from one extreme to the other, going from being, you know, ultra wealthy to yeah. suddenly finding yourself in bankruptcy. Like, how did you not let yeah. that become paralyzing? You know, the extre- the main extreme was going from being totally broken in debt to being a millionaire. That was the biggest, most the stark contrast. Mm-hmm. And it was a wonderful contrast and it was great. And I, I felt, felt great about it. And I stayed at that, that income level for about four or five years. Me going from very financially stable and very financially sound and confident to going bankrupt that took longer mm-hmm. you know that took that took a while that took a lot of you know we, we raised capital for the company that i was what it was building there was a lot of opportunities for us to get out of that hole i look back and i know that if i was the ceo now back then i i think either we would have figured it, we would have figured it out or we would have yeah, we would have made it through. And who knows, maybe that company would be worth a lot of money and getting acquired or something like that. And, and stuff would be different. But I, I learned a lot in that process. And so in that, like, let's say slow spirally death downward toward bankruptcy, uh-huh. there were like an exponential, exponential amount of learnings and more learnings than I would ever have learned if everything just succeeded. So I'm, I look back at it. I'm like, profoundly thankful for all, for all the lessons that I learned. Um, it still hurts to think about sometimes, yeah. but you know, that contrast, like to answer your question clearly is that contrast was like stark going from nothing to having a lot. Um, and going from a lot to having nothing was almost like your hair growing. It happened so <laughs> slow. It happened so slow. And then I woke up, I was like, wait a second, I'm in a hole and I don't think I'm going to be able to get out of this. Uh-huh. You know, like there's, there's, there's no way with the interest payments that I'm going to have to do. And once the company finally collapsed, that was my one vehicle to get, to kind of bring myself out of it. And once that vehicle, you know, stalled or lost its engine or whatever you want to use as an analogy, that's when I realized like, Holy shit, I have to go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And which was like a huge kick in the, whatever you want to call it, the egoic nuts for me, yeah. a very humbling, humbling experience yet something I already look at as being one of the best things that ever happened to me. Did you go through like periods of depression or anxiety through all of this? And oh, so yeah. how did you, how did you navigate that sort of the mental health aspects of all of this? Cause I can't imagine that's not mentally just incredibly taxing. Oh, it's man. It's like, it, it's not, not having money. That was the worst part. The worst part was getting on the phone and calling all of my investors and saying, Hey, I lost your money. You know, you invested in me and you trusted in me and I lost it. So sure, sure. Nine out of 10 startups fail. I get that. And a lot of people say that, don't worry, nine out of 10 fail. I was like, I didn't plan on being the nine out of 10. Mm-hmm. You know, my investors were, were, were betting on me being the one out of 10 and calling them all up and feeling, I just felt so much. I felt like I disappointed people. I felt ashamed that I'd failed. I felt like I disappointed people. I felt like I'd let them down. And that was the hardest part for me um, because I have always been really sensitive to what other people think. I've always cared far too much what other people think. So you can imagine being a people pleaser, being a you know success addict, someone who's always been done well, and then not just failing, but I'm talking like skidding on my face failing, you know, and then I mean, call everyone up and be like, by the way, I'm, I just failed. And because I failed, you're losing your 25 grand or you're losing your 250 grand or whatever it is that you put in. Those calls were just so, you know, devastating. Um, and 
what was incredible about it is that some of them, the guy who you know put in two hundred fifty thousand dollars, actually a guy who put in three hundred fifty grand, he put in more than anyone else. He was like, just get up, dust yourself off, move on to the next thing. You know, you gave it your all. Good job. You made an impact in the world, and you know, I believe in you for your next venture. You know, which was incredible. And then you go to the, the people that put in a couple of people that put in ten grand mm-hmm. were just all over me like like white on rice, and and making me feel ten times or I, let's say what their actions made me feel 10 times worse than I had already felt. Yeah. It's such a trip. Like that, and that, that seemed to be a kind of a common theme. The experienced investors were like, look, dude, you, you tried good dry, get up, dust yourself off and move on. The smaller investors wanted to try to find every excuse in the world to, to, to make it even harder than it needed to be. So <clears throat> during this period of, of, you know, implementing the thinking, go rich and going from, you know, uh, where you were to 500,000 in the first year, did your day to day actions, um, also change in terms of, of, you know, basically shifting from a poverty consciousness to more of an abundance? Oh, one? Yeah. And what, what like daily actions changed in terms of just general things is the reason I brought this up, um, yeah. is, you know, cause I remember Seth Godin said very distinctly in one of his, his, uh, programs called leap first, he said, you can't be a person who tips $20 on a $6 cup of coffee and still have the main same money story. He said, you know, what he said is become a philanthropist every single time you get asked to make a donation, make one. And he said, the thing is that that behavior starts to unwind the story. So I'm very curious what your day-to-day actions were like during that period. Yeah, that's, um, you know, that's, it's, I don't know, it's really good timing that we're talking about this because literally, again, yesterday I was talking about one of my co-founders about this exact topic. And if I was going to take you, let's, why don't we like kind of compare and contrast yeah, a day in the life before sure. and a day in the life, a day in the life poor and a day in the life wealthy. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I'm guessing that probably offends some people, but that's <laughs> it is. Um, a day in the life poor wake up at, you know, maybe eight o'clock, maybe seven thirty. uh, get up, maybe go to the gym, do my thing, go to work, come home, kind of tired, um, maybe I don't know, have a nap or whatever, do, do play, hang out with friends, go to bed, get up, repeat. And if someone asked me for money, being like, no, I don't have enough. Um, a day in the life wealthy. And, and what I mean by wealthy, I, let's say mindset wealthy, because these are, these are habits that I introduced before actually making, you know, a couple million bucks in my twenties. These are the habits that led to lead to making that money. Okay. So with that mind switch, when I actually like like started taking in all this content from really wealthy, you know, whether it be authors or documentaries or autobiographies that I read or whatever it is, the, the, the concepts are the same. Number one, give away at least, you know, five to 10% of your net income before you have the money to give away in essence. So like you, if you make $2,200 a month, which is what I was making at the time as a firefighter, um, then you give away, then I was giving away 2,200 bucks is what I was taking home net. So I would give away $220 every month, 10% of my net income. So you do that. And the, the way that that makes, anyways, we'll get into that in a second, but that's number one. Number two is what I kept reading is that, that these authors would say, I've never met a successful person that doesn't get up early. And I'm talking about like early, early, like 5 a.m. early. So I started getting up at 5 a.m. Yeah. And I couldn't stay awake because it was so freaking early. So I would get up. I'd force myself to drive to Starbucks. I'd sit down. I'd have a mocha. I don't know why I drank mochas back in the day, but, you know, mocha with whipped cream. And I'd sit there with a the mocha and I would read. I would re- and I'd read for an hour because that's another one of those kind of success principles that you hear over and over and over again yet barely any of us follow is that successful people read. I think the average CEO re- reads about 60 books a year yeah. is what I recently read. So they're reading at least a book a week, mm-hmm. right? It's a little bit more than a book a week. So I would, I would read for an hour and just like continue to what they, what I would had read about is like sharpening the saw, like really investing in yourself, 
you know? And so I would read and then I'd go home and I'd plan the whole day out. So that's number one, giving five to 10%. Number two, getting up way earlier than you think is comfortable. Um, and number three, completing my day on paper before I ever began it in person. Mm -hmm. And that to me, like at the moment is something I'm finally back to that, it has the most profound effect on my day is I go through the whole day. Here's the things that I want to accomplish. Here's all the calls that I want to make. Here's all the emails I want to send. And I make, you know, very hardcore OCD lists because I love lists more than anything. And, and before I start my day, I know exactly what I want to accomplish. And then I go through, we start the day. And if, and then I don't have that, like, um, you know, someone says, Hey, do you have time at two o'clock to meet up for a quick coffee? My answer is always no, because I've already planned out the whole day. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing, you know, unless that, unless that coffee is going to correspond to one of my goals, then the answer is, no. And, uh, so those, those three things I think probably contributed the most towards the going from, like I said, like 50 grand to making 500 grand. And it was all, you know, it's lazy in here. It's like all discipline. And then one thing that would kind of sprinkle in on top was meditation, mm. just making sure that I was meditating every day. Funny. You said you pretty much have described my average day. <laughs> oh, good. You're crushing it. Yeah. Which is good to know. Yeah. I mean, I, like I, I, I read every morning for at least, I, I think like anywhere between 25 to 50 pages every morning. Meditate. What, what do you, what do you read that early? Like, are you doing spiritual stuff or? No, I mean, it varies. Oh. I mean, sometimes it's nonfiction. Um, sometimes I will return to books that I've already read before. Um, the reason I read every morning is because I usually write a thousand words every morning as well. Uh, wow. And to, to do the thousand words, I need to read something in order to have material to just sort yeah. of, you know, kind of prime my brain. So it'll range from anywhere. You know, sometimes I'll dive back into a, a sort of spiritual book. Other times, you know, I'll just be reading. Like yeah. right now I'm reading, reading a book called The Plant Paradox. Um, cool. And yeah, so it, it ranges. I mean, but I go through about two books a week. So Amazing. Yeah. And so to, for me, it's like for audiobooks. Yeah. You know those, the app, Apple AirPod uh -huh. um, headphones, those yeah. ones that don't have a cord? Yeah. Those have been like my the biggest game changer for me because I'm flying all the time. Like this morning, I was up at 4 a.m., which is equivalent to 3 a.m. over here, and then I had two flights. But all of that time is just like knowledge time. You know, I probably I probably put in I guess about a quarter of a book yeah. within that time on Audible and using that and just like and the thing is, it just keeps continuously putting your mind mind in the right mindset. Uh -huh. You know, and that's what it's all about. It's not about like the it's it's like. Uh, you know, this, I think this is another Tony Robbins thing. The guy's just a genius. Um, he, he talks about, you know, if you're really overweight, you don't need to go out there and like find the fanciest diet and, and the best like kinesthetic, like workout and the best train in the world. He's like, get on a fucking treadmill and run every single day. Right. You don't need, if you're like, if you're way out away far from where you want to be, just get up and do the basic thing that you will actually do. And so I think it's the same with books. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not a matter of finding the best book possible. It's continuously putting stuff in your brain. That's going to make you smarter. And it's going to keep you in the mindset that you want to be in. Cause it's so easy nowadays. I mean, turn on the news or start, you know, trolling Trump websites or whatever it is. <laughs> all you read is horrendous stuff that's happening in the world. Yeah. And if you read that, that's all that's going into your brain. Then you start feeling completely pessimistic when it, in reality, if we actually look at like the facts that are, as far as we go is like poverty alleviation, diseases, um, you know, infant mortality, like we are way better than we've ever been in our you know history of human species. Um, yet we think things are worse than they've ever been before mm -hmm. because that's all we're doing. And so, you know, it's up to us and it's people, I kind of get some pushback on this. Sometimes people are like, well, you should really know what's going on in the world. And I totally agree to a point. Mm -hmm. I, but I also agree that it's completely up to you to control your energy. It's up to you to control your vibe, let's say. Yeah. And you need to be putting in as much as 
as much, if not drastically more, let's say, good stuff, like really focusing on the good of what's happening in the world as you do the quote unquote real stuff that you, you know, watch on CNN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, it's funny because our content strategist, King Shook, said he's like, does any of this stuff affect you personally day to day? He's like, if not, then it's not as relevant as you think it is. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One one of the other things that struck me that I want to actually spend some time talking about is the fact that you worked as a firefighter, which you brought up multiple times. And I'm I'm curious. I mean, I can't imagine that uh, being a firefighter didn't come with, you know, incredible life lessons, leadership lessons, um, business lessons. I'm curious, like, what did you learn from being a firefighter that you've applied in your life going forward? Um, I think the the one, one thing that stands out, which is has been really good and has been really bad in my life, and I'll give you the reason why, is this this if it's if someone's not dying, that I'm not worried. You know what I mean? Like if if someone says like, oh my god, my best friend just you know fell out of a tree from thirty feet and broke their ribs, and now they're in the hospital. I go, okay, good, they're not dead. Next, you know what I mean? Like I don't really. Stuff doesn't really affect me into, unless there's something like very dire happening, and so that's really good in the way that I can kind of keep my head in in an emergency situation. Like we we did a trip to Costa Rica um, a while ago. I have a travel company and did a trip to Costa Rica where they built ten homes in two days at an incredible time, and they were staying at this uh, this surf resort on the coast, and a bunch of people started to get sick because you know this where this restaurant had some bad stuff in the food. And so a bunch of people started to get sick and we had to mobilize like a, a mobile, a mobile hospital, like a like well-equipped ambulance. We had to get doctors involved. So I was kind of like mission control from Venice, California. And because I had the experience of firefighting, I could kind of keep my head and just sort everything out when most other people were kind of freaking out. And so that's good in that case, but it's bad in the case of like actually feeling, I would say, um, deep empathy for, for situations that aren't life and death. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've, I've found it tough in the past to honor that some situations are more stressful to some, to some people than they are, than they might be to myself mm-hmm. and to actually be there for them. And that's where it sucked. That's where I've really fallen down. And I found myself apologizing a lot. It's like, because I haven't, I haven't been able to empathize with them enough to like really be present for them and be like, yeah, I can see this is a really tough time for you. And, and it's, you know, whatever someone's feeling is completely valid. And I found in the past that I've, um, discounted what they're feeling just because I wouldn't think it's as big a deal yet. That doesn't matter. Like what matters is how they feel about it. So it's kind of hurt, hurt me in relationships at times. And, and has actually really served me in business at times. Mm, wow. Well, let's do this. Um, I want to talk now uh, about the work that you're doing with travel because that's actually how I was introduced to you and, and that's how Rima connected with you. So what yeah. prompted uh, the founding of the, the current company that you're working on? Like, you know, how did it come about? What was the seed that led to the idea? Oh, man. I was a, you know what? This kind of goes back to the beginning of the interview, which is here's something I, I forgot to mention is that, you know, we're talking about like giving, uh-huh. uh, giving that 10% of your net income or five or 10%, whatever it is that feels right to you. That for me came from wanting to make more money, which is kind of, kind of interesting. It's like, wait a sec. So you became this philanthropist because you wanted to make more money. And the answer to that is like, kind of, because back when I was in, in firefighting, I decided I wanted to make more money. I wanted to be a millionaire at some point and feel, you know, financially free. And I started out reading all these books and they all said that you have to tithe, you have to give to five or 10% of your income. And so I did that because I wanted to make more money, which is kind of a funny place to come from, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I hear a lot of people are like, wow, you're doing such great work in the world. You must care so much. And I do now, but I, back then it was actually about making money, which is kind of funny. And so I, you know, I started giving back then realized very quickly how amazing it felt to help people 
and how incredible it feels to help people via the energy of money. So back in firefighting, when I was giving that $220 away each month, that's the best I felt all month. You know, I'd give it to an eating disorder clinic because I've seen people in my family that have suffered from eating disorders, or I'd give it to a women's shelter, or I'd give it to, um, you know, whatever whatever the charity is of, of choice was that month. And when I gave that money, I felt incredibly abundant. I felt so grateful. I felt humble. I felt just so um, in flow. I said, it felt like the most natural thing that I could do is like you just give. You know, and I knew that it was only 10%, so it was, it was like the amount that I felt like I was supposed to put aside. So that became my favorite thing each month. That led to wanting to do a bit more. So I went on this trip to Kenya and Uganda, had this like really incredible travel or transformational experience where I decided that I wanted to do even more. So I got back and, and started um, still giving away 10% of my money, but started building a company that was involved around philanthropy. And then that's that led into starting Change Heroes, which is around people raising money to build schools and libraries. And then after all of those people, we had about 15,000 people from 80 countries around the world give $3.33 a day for three months. I know it's a lot of numbers, but um, we had all these people give and they all started asking, can I go see the school? Can I go see the house? And I remember thinking, man, I would love for that to happen because then they could have the same experience that I had. You know, they could have that like transformational moment and, and maybe change the trajectory of their lives. And so we did the first trip in December 2015 as like a test, as a pilot, like to see if this thing would work. And it went like incredibly well. We, we built like 20 houses in two days. They're all prefabricated. And we partnered with a nonprofit on the ground. We did it in El Salvador. Um, the people had an amazing time. They were, it was transformational. It was like, for, like it was transformation to like to the cellular level in these people. And I was like, wow, w- wouldn't it be amazing if we could if we could replicate this, if we could do this, like I'm talking like weekly or monthly and, and just continuously pump out more altruistic, philanthropic, empathetic human beings by via them going through an incredible travel experience, you know, like a puppy mill for good people, let's say. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, that was the idea. And, and we just went with it. We, we started and at the time change heroes was, you know, like I said, it was, it was kind of going down and, would, but this seed of journey was kind of percolating and, uh, we, we've since then, we've done 17 trips. We've brought almost 500 people to six countries. Um, we've built 125 houses. We've refurbished three schools. We've, we've built a skate park for scr- from scratch um, for at-risk youth in Costa Rica. And, and after those impact days, we always do like two deep days of like impact, whether it be building or, or refurbishing kind of thing. Then we do three days of like, of spiritual or adventure let's say you know we go to the mountains in mexico we're doing this trip in in august where we're refurbishing a school for two days and then we're going to go to the mountains to this incredible place called the hotel of the light where we do mayan sweat lodges we do yoga we do sound meditation we do like little sharing circles to for people to talk about like how it made them feel to to meet these kids that were living in work or you know going to this school and what we knew that their life trajectory was was like and we have a blast doing it go to hikes to these pyramids and stuff like that so from that, that was the seed was like, is it possible to create an experience that genuinely transforms people at scale? Is it possible to scale empathy in essence, you know, to scale something that, you know, it's kind of hit or miss in our world. And so far, uh, all, all indications point to, yes, it is possible. And I hope that's, you know, that's exactly what we're doing. So I'm curious, um, you know, you've alluded to transformation a lot uh, in the lives of the, the people that come. I, mean, I think the transformation that occurs for the people that you provide, you know, this philanthropic effort for is very clear. Um, I'm curious, what, what have been the changes that you've seen in the lives of the people that have gone on these trips, both internally and externally? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, they hate everyone so different. You know, like you can, we were on a trip to Colombia a couple of weeks ago, maybe maybe a month ago now. And so far we brought 60 people down and we built, um, I think we built 10 homes in two days. And then we went to this little island off the coast of Cartagena for, for a few days. And it hit everyone totally different. We had some people on the bill that say, you know, how you doing? And they're like, terrible. You know, this little boy just keeps asking for clean water. And, and, and this little, you know, this little girl lives in this house that doesn't even have a floor. She lives on the dirt and it's made of two by fours and, and tarps. And so some people, it hits them. They, they see it. They see, they can't reconcile, at least in the short term, how they just flew from a place that you can just walk into Whole Foods and get any kind of food and clean water you want to a place that the people just can't even find clean drinking water, right? It's incomprehensible to some people. Other people, you go up to them and say, hey, how's the build going? And they're like, it's amazing. I met this amazing family. They're so resilient. They're so powerful. They're so dignified and they're et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I... Right now, we only get to see people like on the trip and like the events that we hold afterwards. We do like little speaking speaking nights and salons and um, you know fundraisers and stuff like that. And we ask people how they're integrating. But I'd say overall, the typical journey of someone is they go on this trip. On the trip, they kind of they hold it together. When they come home, they have a bit of reverse culture shock of like, oh my god, I was just in this place where people don't even have homes or, or clean water. And they have this reverse culture shock, and and it depend and depending on who they are and if they've been traveling before, they go through a period of reintegration, which might take, you know, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks of kind of getting used to their surroundings. And then ideally at that point, they transition into, well, what can I do to make it, make a change? Mm-hmm. You know, and we've seen people quit their jobs and like travel across the country because they just, it's it hit them at, at a core where they wanted to start raising money for charity and they wanted to live their lives differently because of the experience that they had. Um, We've had people just become big philanthropists. We've had like big donors. We've had people come on three trips within a year because it's like something that's resonating so deeply to them that once they finish a trip within a month, they've booked another trip with us. Um, and we've had people that have come on a trip. You know, we had a woman come on the first trip. She started planning her own trips with us after that and brought like I think 25 people. You know, it just kind of, it depends on what, what they feel like their contribution to the world should be. You know, we, we love it when people do that. Like we have this guy, BC Cerna, who's a, like an Instagram storyteller and influencer. Mm-hmm. He came on a trip with us, brought a mentee of his. Um, and, and the next trip that he came on, he brought 12 people, 12 of his followers from Instagram. The next trip he came on, he brought 40. And so that's what we want to do is be this like vehicle for social change for people. So they don't have to rack their brains too hard about how they can impact the world. They can impact it by passing that transformational experience on to other people. Mm-hmm. For you personally, how has um, your definition of success changed uh, as a byproduct of, you know, sort of the journey that you've been on? You know what? I, I feel like I'm like peaking, Pe- not peaking as in I'm just about to go downhill, but I feel like I've reached a, a new level of success right now, yeah. which is funny because if I open up, let's do this like real time here. I'm going to open up my Chase app and tell you how much money is in my bank account because if I say I feel like the most successful I've ever felt, which I do right now, I feel the mo- by far the most successful I've ever felt, hands down. And my checking account is seventy-two dollars and twenty-one cents. There's four hundred dollars saved up to invest because I was put aside a little bit of money to invest, but it's only well, it's four hundred five dollars right now. I uh, drained that account. I've got two hundred fifty-five dollars to give away in my charity account that's been kind of saved up, and then I got well, you know thirty bucks here and there, and I got twelve hundred dollars for taxes. So that 
you know, that's probably not the the bank account that you'd usually hear from someone who thinks it feels like they're the most successful they've ever been, uh-huh. especially having been a millionaire for a number of years in my life. But this is like, I'm doing it every day. I wake up so enthused. I wake up so vibrant and like on fire for what we're doing in the world and what we're creating. And the reason that more, I feel more successful now than I've ever felt is because I'm also doing stuff for myself. I'm not just building a social good company and pouring all of my heart and soul and sweat and blood and tears into it and ruining myself financially in the process. I'm doing stuff for myself. I'm, I'm making sure that I'm bringing in a decent salary from journey and I'm doing stuff on the side where I'm helping people spread their messages through speaking and I'm making money through that. I'm like actually concentrating as much on myself, at least as much on myself as I am on giving back to the world. And so they're finally in they're this, they're, they're in equal, um, contribution mode right now. Whereas like real estate was all about me, right? Mm-hmm. I was the millionaire. I was the one who's living on the ocean and had the bike and the, you know, the, the motorbike and the, and the truck and all the rental properties and stuff like that. Then flip flop to change heroes, change heroes ended up impacting 200,000 people all over the world. We built, we built 400 schools, libraries, water projects, anti-sex trafficking work, girl scholarships, you know, veterans rehabilitation, homelessness initiatives. We did 400 projects all over the world that impacted 200 or will impact 200,000 people over the lifespan of those projects. Yet I was doing nothing for myself. I was burnt out. I was stressed. I was full of anxiety. Um, I could barely keep up with the workload. I couldn't keep up with the workload. I had a company that was failing and so it was all about impact. And now the reason I feel like more successful than anything else, and those, those are finally equal. I've realized that I can't just give all the time because I'll burn myself out and, and then the things won't work. And I can't just take all the time because I mean, well, I guess I got over that in my mid, in my early twenties, learning that you can't just take, and it's not the most fulfilling life. So right now I feel, I just feel incredibly grateful, humble, genuinely obsessively happy because every day I wake up enthused for what I'm doing. And that's what it's, that's what it's all about. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, it's not about like the destination. If, if, if the, if we, if you really believe in the quote, it's like, it's, it's about the journey, not the destination. Then I truly feel like I'm the, at the moment, I feel like I'm the epitome of that quote. I'm enjoying this journey so fucking much. It's crazy. And like, even right now, I'm just sitting at my buddy, Mark Shapiro's place. He's a, has a podcast himself called, are you being real? He's amazing. And he says, look at your life, dude. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, so you're just going to hop on a podcast and tell people what you're passionate about. That's what you're doing for the afternoon. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. Like how incredible is this? You know what I mean? Like, so that I guess at the end of the day, that's what I feel the most successful is because my day to day, I just love it. I absolutely love, love the team I'm working with. I love the place that I live and feel. So even though I have $72 and 21 cents in my mm-hmm. checking account right now, yeah. that is, is about a small fragment of, 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 you know, contribution to my overall happiness. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, there's no way we can get out of this conversation without talking about surfing. Um, yes, finally. <laughs> waiting for this. Um, I'm curious, what, what is what is the role that surfing has played in your life? Um, I mean, it just brings me back. You know, like, I, I, I fell in love with surfing when I was 18. I was 18. I was in Australia. I was traveling for about seven months. And I just fell in love with surfing. I love the, I love the culture. I love the chill. I love, like it feels to me like you're part, you're like one with nature. You know what I mean? It's like, you're literally inside nature in the water and you're riding this energy. For me, it's just like, I love snowboarding. I love action sports. I love a lot of things, but to me, nothing compares to feeling the energy that a wave has because that wave started way the frick out in the middle of the ocean and it's taken however long it's taken to get to you. 
and it has an energy. It's had an energy for how I, I should probably Google that. How long do waves exist for? You know what I mean? Or how far away do they come from? But that's had an energy for a profound length of time. And then you get to experience that energy. You're already in the water and it picks you up and you like feel that energy. You feel like, I don't know, there's no other feeling in the world that I've ever felt like it. And then you ride it. And it's like this also like the juicy, like masculine obsession with coming close to death, but not dying. (laughs) You know, I don't know. We we don't have to go super into like the masculine and feminine on this, on this podcast, but you know, this it's, it's just fact that men, we like to get close to death. The more masculine your essence, the closer to death that you like to get without dying. And I love surfing because it gives me that feeling of like, Oh shit. Like I better do, like I better catch this thing. Right. Or I'm going to get tough. (laughs) <laughs> you know, especially like the big waves. If you go, if you go down, you're the chances of death are there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it probably sounds so stupid to a lot of people that, that have um, maybe a different kind of core essence. But when you have, I don't know, the feeling that I have inside, like I've run with the bulls and I've skydived a whole bunch of times and bungee jumped and do, done all this stuff. There's nothing like that exhilaration of like, holy cow, I could have died right there. <laughs> you know, but I didn't. And yeah. let's go get an acai bowl. Um, so, so surfing for me fulfills a ton of stuff. My, my oneness with nature, it's meditative for me. It feels like, feels so connected and refreshed. Salt water is incredibly healing, um, in and of itself, let alone being in it for like a beautiful, like hour or two, uh-huh. you get to go out there and watch the sunset with unimpeded sunsets. Like there's nothing between you and the sun basically, except for water, not even sand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and sunrises, I don't know. I can't, I could speak about surfing forever, but it's, uh, you know, why don't you tell me, Serena? What do you think? What's what's surfing mean to you? <laughs> I, I think you've described it fairly accurately. Um, no, I mean, I, to me, I, I always say yeah. it's like having a church, a gym, and a bar all in one activity. It means your social, physical, <laughs> and spiritual needs. Yeah, totally. You're not wasted, which is good. Yeah, definitely. From the bar. Yeah, man. What what about you? You t- take us deep here. Give us some profound wisdom that you've read about lately in your plant book or something that <laughs> something that's been like on your mind that if I was interviewing you on a podcast, you'd be like, this is the thing that your audience needs to hear. All right. So I'll, I'll share a little bit about what I've been working on because I've been working around a lot of stuff around productivity and, and creativity. Um, I, I think that largely we don't have time management issues. We have attention management issues. Um, mm-hmm. And I think all our time management issues stem from our attention management issues. In fact, we would need far less time to get all the things we needed to do done if we were better at managing our attention. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. And how do you, how, like, how do you overcome that? What, tell well, us like what you brought up. A what's few, a typical a day for you? What's the ideal day? The ideal day for me involves, uh, waking up and going straight to the beach and being in the water for four hours. Today is far from the ideal day. I had <laughs> three back to back interviews, which never happens. Um, but yeah, wow. that that's, you know, but I also know I was like, okay, if I do three back to back interviews today, it means I get all day tomorrow. Um, I think largely attention is about really kind of one being learning to be present, you know, when you're doing something like having a conversation with somebody like this one, um, making sure that, you know, your phone is off, that you don't have a thousand other things open. I think that strangely, like being present is something that we're losing and learning to be present is something that we're more and more losing to the point of being a a serious concern. Like, and you know, there Mm -hmm. there have been numerous studies that show this stuff, you know, causes mental health issues, um, related to our anxiety issues. But more than that, like, if you want to be the type of person that you were talking about um, at the very beginning who has the habits of, you know, wealthy people, you've got to learn to manage your attention. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So that's what I would say. I dig it, man. I, yeah. It's like full attention. What do you think for like energy flow? So like for myself, I don't schedule anything at 3 p.m. Yeah. You know, I don't... My energy is like. 
I don't do anything from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. That's like my prime time. What? Yeah. No, nobody gets my time from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Oh, good. Yes. I thought you meant like you don't do anything. Like that's my prime time too. Yeah. Morning. Stuff, you crush it. Get everything done. And don't you find like if you get to like 10 a.m. you haven't done all your stuff or someone screwed around yeah. with you in the morning or something like that. You're like your whole day. So you're just like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. So I want to finish with one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Ooh. In my mind, it's someone who is fully them, who's fully themselves. Not that they've defined themselves, but that they're li- literally living, this is from your talk on presence, they're living in the present moment, unimpeded by worrying about what other people think, caring too much about what's going to happen in the future, positioning, posturing, all of the stuff that means the same thing, but it's a different word. It's people that are living out their personal legend. Mm. There's no better compliment than that I've ever had than someone saying, Taylor, you're just so, you're just so you. And I said, I remember that happening. I said, what, what do you mean? And they're like, you're just so you, you're just so like, you know, you're just you, you're very unique. And I was like, wow, thank you. It was like the equivalent of someone saying, you know, you're the most beautiful person ever, whatever it is. is that's all I want to do is I want to be me. And I want to live out every day feeling like me. And I mean, every interaction where I'm just like staring into someone's eyes because I'm not caring about how they're looking at me. And I'm just like seeing them because I'm letting them see me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I think that makes a, a very fitting end to our conversation. Where can people learn more about your work? Oh, um, well, if you want to come on a trip, come with me to Mexico, August 3rd. Is this going to be up before August 3rd, Srini? It's possible, given that it's July well, 18th. Okay, it's it, it's uh, wejourney.co. WeJourney.co is our site. There's, that's where all the trips are. We're doing Colombia, uh, Mexico, Nicaragua, building a bunch of homes, which is wonderful. And the other thing is, I mean, you know, speaking stuff is on TaylorConnor.com. Um, or, you know, shoot me an email. It's not too hard to figure out. It's, it's Taylor at WeJourney.co. If I can ever help collaborate or create some game-changing idea that will do wonderful things in the world while producing revenue, that is my obsession. So I'm happy to connect with people on that all day long. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.